From the University of the West of Scotland, this is the Research Matters Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Research Matters Podcast by the University of the West of Scotland. I'm Dr. Katrina Fallow. I'm a lecturer in performance from the School of Business and Creative Industries. And today, my guest is Callum Russell, a lecturer and researcher from the School of Computing, Engineering and Physical Sciences. So... Callum's research involves microalgae and its potential to be converted into biofuel, an environmental alternative to petrol and diesel. Welcome, Callum. Thank you for having me. Can you start us off with some of the basics? So what is biofuel and what can it be used for? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, biofuel in a general sense is is basically a combustible fuel that isn't derived from traditional fossil fuels, so it's not petroleum-based. Um, and this can be things like trees, plants, nuts, um, and microorganisms. And it's basically categorised into different generations. So currently, microalgae is in its third generation. And you can have two different types of biofuel. You can have solid, which comes from like wood. So you burn wood, you create heat, and then you put that into you know a steam generator. Or you can have liquid biofuels, um, which is, you know, predominantly what we use. And that comes from, like, you know, sunflower oil, um, fats, that sort of thing. But from there, you could take it a step further because people just take biofuel in general. But biofuel you can have is biodiesel or you can have bioethanol. Mm -hmm. And the key distinction is basically how it is synthesized. In terms of what it's used for, the term they like to use is a drop-in fuel. So just now... Um, they like to add it in with traditional, you know, petrol and diesel. And you kind of see this when you go to the petrol pump. So you'll see like E5, E10. Uh-huh. What that means is like, so say E10, 10% of the fuel that you put in the car can, is biofuel. Oh, the right. E stands for ethanol. So that would be bioethanol. That goes into the petrol. And if you see the B, so like B20, that would mean biodiesel. And that's an additive to diesel. Ah, so we could actually already be using elements of biofuel when yep. we fill up our cars and not even really realise it. Yep. So when you go to the fuel pump, the next time you see it, if you see E10, E5, um, that means that a part of the fuel right. is biofuel anyway. Oh, okay. So we already use it um, in our day-to-day lives. And you probably didn't even know it. Ah, I'll look out for it next time I fill up the tank. And I guess that sort of links to another question I had in relation to your research, that given what I understand to be the long-term sort of shift towards electric vehicles, why is it still worth exploring biofuel alternatives at all? So electric vehicles have made some really, really, you know, strong advancements in the last decade or so. But the aren't without their limitations. Um, you know, I'm not taking away the the innovation of the technology itself, but rather if you consider the entire life cycle of an electric car. You know, you've got the mining element of it, you've got the recycling, you've got the decommissioning, whereas the beauty with biofuel is the infrastructure is already there. Mm-hmm. It is simply a plug-and-play. You have the internal combustion engines. You don't need to find new elements. You don't need to create new technologies. You have the car there. Mm -hmm. So you mitigate a lot of the energy-intensive processes associated with the electric car. I see. And I guess I would include things like having to build charging stations to adapt parking spaces that we already have available to us. That cost is mitigated as well. Yeah, exactly. 
So I know now that your work focuses specifically on microalgae, which, from your research, I gather that there are approximately a hundred thousand species of each with their own distinct set of properties that are flourishing in almost every environment on Earth, which is amazing. I guess I think it'd be useful to know when you reference microalgae in the context of your work specifically, what exactly are we talking about? So how does it differ, I guess, from the algae I might find in my pond in the garden? It's something I get asked all the time, and it's a really, really good question. <laughs> People want to know uh, what's going on in their ponds. Yep. Normally, the the add-on to that is, can I do it myself? Can I make my <laughs> own fuel? Um, and the short of the answer is... It's pretty much exactly the same. Uh, you could, in essence, take the algae from, you know, the pond or the fence or whatever it is in your garden, cultivate it and create biofuel from it. You could, in essence, do that. Where we differ um, in terms of, you know, as in other researchers, is we only select suitable algae that has the capacity to produce large quantities of oil. For example we look at what's called the morphology of microalgae. So that's basically what its appearance is, you know, what its shape is, what size it is, what colour it is. And all of those things will dictate how much oil we actually can get. So we only cherry pick the best ones, but in essence, you could do it with any microalgae that you wanted. I see. I, th I mean, maybe there's a lucrative line in like self-starter algae, biofuel kits? I mean, you can buy them for educational purposes. Um, you know, they use them for primary schools um, and high schools to show them that this green goo can actually produce something that could power your car uh -huh. uh, one day. So you can buy them, but Again, it's the, the scale's quite small. And I guess that then inevitably leads us on to thinking more about the process behind your research. So when you talk about sort of economies of scale and what's possible in the primary school science classroom versus the kind of work that you're talking about or other researchers working in this field are talking about, how do you go about converting microalgae into biofuel? So I guess, how long does it take? How is it achieved? A misconception that a lot of people ask is, how can microalgae produce biofuel it isn't necessarily the case because the microalgae produce what's called lipids and they are a f basically an oil so they're a naturally produced oil so they don't actually produce biofuel directly per se in essence what we've got to do is we extract the oil using there's a ton of different methods that you can do uh, you've got mechanical or you've got non-mechanical methods um, the research that we're doing is looking at using what's called a switchable solvent. So just now we can use traditional solvents, but they are highly, highly toxic. Uh, they aren't good for the environment at all. Um, so again, it comes down to this whole life cycle analysis of the energy itself. So what we're trying to do is take a switchable solvent, which we inject high amounts of carbon dioxide gas, and it changes its behaviour. So, in plain and simple terms, in its natural form, the solvent acts like oil. So it doesn't dissolve in water. After we inject the CO2, it changes its behaviour and acts like water. So all you we're really doing is exploiting a phase change. Mm -hmm. That's it. And the beauty of this is we can reuse it up to 15 times. So it's 15 times more economical it's 15 times more environmentally friendly because you don't actually lose it to the process. You mm -hmm. keep it there and it's 15 times more efficient. 
and it consumes a huge amount of CO2 in comparison to any other solvent extraction methods. So when you talk about carbon neutrality, then this process, I would actually argue, is carbon negative. Because it consumes so much CO2, the amount that is produced at the other end is less than what's actually consumed. I see. So it's a green technology... Would, would we call it a green technology? Is that yep. fair to say? Yeah, you would call it a green technology. So uh, even if some of the solvents or processes or chemicals you're using are in and of themselves toxic, it's the way in which it's treated and introduced to the microalgae and that process of being able to reuse it, that, yeah. that makes this more of a green alternative. The solvents that are used, things like hexane, heavy hydrocarbons, methanol, chloroform, you can only use them once and then they get released into the environment. So these are heavy hydrocarbons, which aren't good in general. But the beauty of the switchable solvent is the fact that you can reuse it time and time again. So it doesn't actually get released. And if you look at it from the solvent by itself, one could argue that it's not environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. It comes down to how you define environmentally friendly. So when we look at it as an overall process and that the solvent remains inside, we can say that it is environmentally friendly. Well, for someone like me who's really conscious about the environment, that sounds exciting. I guess what I want to know is how far away are we from being able to use biofuel produced in this way for everyday purposes? So how long before we could fill up our cars with it, for example? In terms of if you were to fill your car with 100% biofuel derived from microalgae, I think we are probably some way off. Um, I'm not going to lie. As a much very as good measured research as yes, We yep. are some portion of time away. Um, as much as it's my field um, and I've invested a lot of time in it, I'm not naive in the issues that it still faces. Mm -hmm. um, I've got to be realistic. And as it stands just now, it doesn't have the capacity to do it just mm -hmm. yet. But that's where biofuel comes in its element when it's blended with other fuels so it would be a case of instead of it being 10 percent you know um additive to fuel even if we could get it up to 50 percent then we've halved the emissions that your car would ordinarily produce if we didn't have that additive i see and when you're talking about Combining that with different fuels, just clarify for me, do you mean combined with something like petrol or diesel? Or yeah. could it be combined with another biofuel? Or are we still dependent on at least a portion of petrol and diesel? Yeah, so it's still a case of like, like for like. So mm -hmm. it would be blended with its fossil fuel partner. So the biofuel would combine with the traditional petroleum, petrol or diesel. So the biodiesel would be combined with petroleum diesel the bioethanol would be combined with the petroleum petrol. So you're still going to have a reliance on traditional fossil fuels okay. um, for some time. Uh -huh. And that's the case with a lot of renewable energy options is, you know, if you go down the route of the electric car again, you still need heavy machinery and heavy in industrial processes that use petroleum-based fuels. So... It's going to be here, unfortunately, yeah. for some time. But what I could see in the near future is its percentage contribution 
will decrease mm-hmm. as time goes on. Mm-hmm. But it would never be a case of tomorrow we can switch off the coal and we could switch off the the petroleum refineries and you know we could just rely on wind and solar and stuff like that it's it's just not going to be possible right it's so difficult isn't it when we think about those green alternatives that actually exactly as you describe even if the end product itself in and of itself is environmentally friendly the methods to get there yeah we're still so dependent on those existing technologies mm-hmm. those existing sources of fuel to follow up on that Given the fluctuating, and by fluctuating, I mean exponentially, constantly increasing, uh, costs of fossil fuels, what do you think I'm looking at price-wise if I wanted to put a gallon of the kind of microalgae-derived fuel that you're describing in my car? It depends on the process. Some processes are more energy-intensive, therefore they're more cost. So it does depend on how the fuel was manufactured. But If you consider it from a production cost, the values from, it was May 2022, the cost per tonne of biofuel was $2,244, whereas the cost for a tonne of standard petroleum fuel was only $1,140. So it's more than 100% of a difference in the cost. Mm If you were to translate that to what it would cost at a petrol pump, then for one litre, you're talking in the realm of about $3 okay. in comparison to one and a bit mm-hmm. that we have just now for petroleum. So that's why it comes back down to the whole idea of blending. If you blend it in slowly, as the cost of production comes down, then you wouldn't have to offset that cost to the end consumer. Because ultimately what we are basically saying is if you went to a petrol pump that was just biofuel, you would be paying well above double what you're paying for right and now. And you will struggle to get folks to, uh, to buy into that, Big I time. think. And on the subject of buy-in, I suppose, is there any... Do you have a sense? Is there any incentive from major petrol and diesel producers to back this kind of research? Like, is there any, you know, um, to help them offset their carbon footprint? Is there any sense of investment from the kind of petrol diesel industry in this kind of research and technology? Yeah, so it it falls under the, you know, the Paris Agreement back Mm -hmm. in 2015. So the biofuel element of that does fall under that umbrella term. There is government grants, there is government incentives to big companies, mainly the oil and gas giants, to switch away from, you know, their traditional petroleum use. But what we found is it's gravitated towards electric cars, it's gravitated towards wind and solar panels more than it has biofuel. But it's particularly based on, you know, the geographical location. Because algae need sunlight, they need generally 20 degrees, 25 degree ambient temperature. Then in colder climates, darker climates, microalgae is not the best place. Whereas if you go to countries, you know, in the Middle East or places that are your guaranteed hot, sunny weather for X amount of months of the year, that's probably the better locations mm-hmm. for biofuel. And there is some, you know, there is some industries that are producing a substantial amount of barrels per year of microalgae derived fuel. It's just there is a big argument as to the amount of space that's actually needed. Because 
you're talking hundreds of football pitches in order to make 4% of what we would actually need globally for fuel. So the argument becomes, do we use this for biofuel or do we use it for agriculture? And that's a huge argument. And that's one of the things that if we can make it more efficient, we can make it more justifiable that the land should be used for that. I see. So it's not a, I had sort of perhaps quite quaint, naive visions of you sort of wandering the Scotch countryside, gathering algae <laughs> in, a, in a jar to take back to the lab. But actually what you're describing feels a little bit more kind of futuristic giant algae farms mm-hmm. of, like you say, acres and acres of algae being cultivated mm-hmm. in order to service the biofuel industry. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, a, that's an example of what you would call an open system. Mm-hmm. So it's open to the environment. We, and, you know, the majority of researchers do what's called a closed system. So it's in what you would call a photobioreactor. So it's completely closed off and it's inside a lab. But touching back on the point where you you mentioned about going up the Scottish countryside and, you know, (laughs) just pulling the algae off, um, I've actually did that myself. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a strain that we have in the lab called blue-green cyanobacteria. And it makes the news every year where I come from in West Lothian. It's branded as a toxic algal bloom, particularly for dogs. So one of the things that I was interested in was taking some samples, cultivate it in the lab, see if we can get a substantial amount of oil from this, and then have some form of collaboration or cleanup with the local councils, both in Scotland and wider afield, because it does pose a significant problem, especially in the summertime. So that could be a realisation of my colleagues, uh, students running about the Scotland, gallowing up as much microalgae as they possibly can. So it's, it could be realised at some point. I mean, sign me up for the next UWS <laughs> algae pick. Like, I'm there. That sounds great. Uh, and it's exciting that this work is actually operating across a number of scales, right? From the mega industrial mm-hmm. version that you're describing through to something that feels much more local, that actually is posing a direct benefit to the communities, like the protection of jogs, walkers, by removing this toxic substance that is still feeding into your research. Mm -hmm. So I wondered, based on what you described, for me, I can see how this intersects, like a lot of the research at UWS with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So I'm thinking of things like access to affordable, reliable, sustainable energy for all, uh, climate action, responsible consumption and production. What do you see as this research most valuable contribution and who is it for? Well, I was in a fortunate position that I was part of a fairly large team that has written an entire paper on this exact subject. Mm -hmm. Um, So we went through all 17 of the goals and highlighted exactly where microalgae would play its part. And there's two key goals um, that I would say microalgae's place really lies, and that's in goal number three which is to do with good health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that's a good place to, you know, to head is microalgae is a lot more than just biofuel. Microalgae have incredible health benefits. They produce a plethora of bioactive compounds that to manufacture synthetically are very, very costly. And microalgae produce them in absolute spades. So looking at things like the pharmaceutical industry, the nutraceutical industry, and going down the route of cancer research, looking at cures for chronic diseases, 
I would say that's one of the places that microalgae really could shine. And that benefits absolutely everybody. But then you could take it to the fuel side and you could say, you know, the clean energy, the microalgae consume large amounts of CO2, they purify the air, and that's got to be good for the general environment as well. And that comes under goal number seven for that one. Oh my goodness, microalgae, good for the environment and for your body. Exactly. There is no limit exactly. to what microalgae <laughs> can do. Um, Callum, thank you so much for your time today and for such a fascinating discussion. No problem. It's been really great to chat. Thank, thank you very you. much for having me. Thanks.